I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. If you want to have a continuum, then you need to live by example, because if not, how can you expect your children to be better than you? Today's guest, Eric Woolwin, is the best-selling author of Family Success Triangle. Eric, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. I heard you and Matt, and you were on his podcast, and I thought, I've got to meet this lady. She's awesome. She's so much fun. And then I heard him on your podcast. And then I went back and listened to Mark with you and a couple of your other ones while we're driving around Scottsdale. So I am so happy to be here with you. It's really awesome. Oh, I listened to you and Matt drink on as well. And I thought he did a really excellent job on that interview. Yeah, he is great. He's just so easy. You walk away and he's so easy to talk to. I felt like you guys had a great rapport and I love what he said at the end. He felt like you were yes anding him the whole time, like really adding to everything that he brought up. And that is so cool when that happens. Well, let's do that together. Let's do that. I felt like the interview between me and Matt was just, we were matching each other's energy, which is cool. You were. And man, he is a high energy guy. And that's why I thought some of these, I mean, Lila was just on another one this morning. So we do this at least once a week. Wow. Sometimes I'll have a couple in a day. And then we're in Indiana on Saturday and back to Ohio. Well, I've got my thing. I had a guy flying from LA. So he's here in Ohio. So I've never been to Ohio. I'll make the four hour drive to get there and back so I can spend the day with you. And then he has a class in Columbus, which is a couple hours away from here tomorrow. And then we go out and meet with huh, Superman. If you know James Dixon, check out Instagram. Superman is number four real. So Superman is for real. And it's a guy that lost his leg when he was a kid, was embarrassed about it. And now he's a weightlifting champion, ran a marathon on one leg. And they're making a cartoon about him as a superhero. I'm doing a lot of speaking with him all summer. So I'm going to see him Saturday in Indiana. Then we're traveling to Chattanooga to speak 
next Saturday, Friday and Saturday, and we're supposed to be out in LA and maybe Dubai. We're trying to schedule. So all over the US, we're going to Dubai. It's going to be awesome. But he's got like a million and a half followers on YouTube. And if you'd want to interview him, he is super high energy. I can hook you up. Yeah, that sounds remarkable. Thank you. I feel like I'm in your inner circle now. (laughs) You're pretty cool. I like listening to your... I, I told Devin, I mean, my kid starts podcast when he's like 11 years old. He publishes his first book. And I said, you really need to listen to one or two of these podcasts before you go on. You've got to know who you're talking to and blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, I couldn't possibly keep up. I don't know how many podcasts I've been on that I've never heard them before. I just show up and I was like, all right, what are we talking about today? So he is a really good speaker for his age. Yes. He's done a lot. I mean, he's been doing this for five years. So he kind of faded out a little bit, but then he started traveling and was in front. His first public speaking engagement was not in front of the second grade class. It was a hundred adults in Pittsburgh. So we drive to another state and the presidents of the real estate organizations are talking to each other. He gets off stage. We go to the bar to get some beer and wings before my wife drives us home. And I get a phone call and I'm like, what do you want, Brad? He goes, is this Stephen's manager? Can he come to Indiana and speak next Saturday? So he hit Pennsylvania, Indiana, and then Ohio in like his first month of speaking. Did he ever get nervous? He said he was terrified and you really couldn't, I mean, for an 11 year old on stage, you couldn't tell. I thought it was incredible. And now he's gotten comfortable. The 13 year old, if you ask him a question, man, he is the most natural speaker ever. Yet, if you ask him a question he's not prepared for, he's got pages of answers memorized. And he sat down and wrote it out, you know, about all of his different deals and this and why'd you do that. And then Devin, the 16 year old, could just flow. He can handle anything. The 13-year-old is just starting enough that if you ask him something he doesn't, he's not prepared for, for he stumbles a little bit or hesitates and tries to find a story that relates to it rather than just opening up. Like if you sat beside him at lunch, you'd be laughing like crazy by the end of lunch. And yet he tries to be professional on a podcast and doesn't always pull it off. But still, for 13, he does pretty good. I feel like they're little adults already. Well... How do you, do you have children? Four. Four. How old? The oldest. Actually, my oldest is around your oldest age. So I have a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a four-year-old. Okay, so they absolutely must join my kids' group, and they teach other teenagers. It's designed for eight to 24-year-olds, and I think a grandfathered one guy in that turned 25. But they just, they get together over Discord every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and if they aren't available, they've got people from seven countries I think. And normally there's only 8, 10, 12 there. But this last meeting is, oh yeah, there were eight or nine people from Germany and the US. Or no, Australia. There's one or two from Australia. And then most of them, when the, they literally have 12-year-olds helping them record and do everything. So when that works, they put it on YouTube. Mom is always welcome to listen in, just not really interrupt to make sure it's appropriate for your daughters or whatever. And then, yeah, I just kind of let them go. And once they were, they'd been doing this weekly for six months before they ever called me. They said, Hey, my dad's in the next room and he has a really good, it was a common day. What's going on? I think interest rates rising or something. So I came in and I spoke for 10 minutes to explain how that was going to 
affect real estate. And we have multiple, there's a 13 year old out in Wyoming that bought her first house and one that designs cosmetics, just all of these amazing people. And a lot of the podcasters I talk to, their kids are a little bit more motivated and do more than some of the others. So I always encourage them show up and some of them want to write books and others want to do this and some are into real estate. And they just, I'm telling you, they're building their own society and another 10 years, watch out, they'll take over. Yeah. I was listening to you on a couple other podcasts talk about if your kids have an interest in say Spanish, there was Mm -hmm. someone who spoke Spanish in your company. So you hired them to teach your kid Spanish. Yeah. I love that. uh, Well, what do you know? I mean, seriously, you're incredibly good at something. You need to teach that to your children. And if you have any reasonable size business, you hire people for everything else. So if they want to learn about the law, then I call up my lawyer. I take them out to lunch with my accountant so they can ask accounting questions if I don't know the answers. But yeah, just have the experts teach them. Why should we all I wanted to be a doctor and I realized the only way I could really do what I wanted. I thought I wanted to be a thoracic surgeon, but then you get tighter and tighter and tighter. And the more school you go to, the less you know. And you get to the point where you can only work on one little teeny area. And I was a little older. I had done four years in the army. So I'm four years older than the average college graduate by the time I start med school. Realized maybe emergency medicine, I at least get to treat every part of the body. It's a challenge. It's different every day. I don't walk in and only operate on the heart. I get something new. And I'd spent, I ended up working 13 years in emergency medicine as a medic in the army. I ran 12 ambulance squads. We had 24 hour operations with four squads going all the time. I had, I was a platoon sergeant at Fort Bragg and had people in multiple countries working for me. I did all that when I was like 23. Yeah. So these boys obviously take after you. Yes, they're doing a lot. And then you just take them places. But if you meet the best-selling author in the world and Mark Victor Hansen says, kid, you need to write a book with me. Then they say, yes, sir. That's how Devin actually, he wrote his first book. We published a cheap throwaway. Hey, I want to be on your show. Look, I'm a best-selling author right? And I wrote the first chapter and the guy begged me to be in it. And he's like, I'll give you the first chapter. Well, it ended up my wife and I wrote the first third of the book, but that was all it was. And then Devin really wanted to write a book. I'm not going to rewrite Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's an awesome book. Why would I rewrite that? And I'm not going to rewrite the E-Myth and Atlas Shrugged has been written. So I figured if I ever find something that hasn't been done incredibly well, there's thousands of real estate books. Nobody cares about my spin on real estate. Big deal. You know, I've done a thousand rehabs. I guess that's better than some people, but it's not anything spectacular. You can find Grant Cardone or Kiyosaki or Ken McElroy, somebody that's bigger. I said, when I find something I've done that nobody else in the world has ever done and wrote a best-selling book on, then I'll write another one. And people ask me continuously, how did your kids do what they did? How did you get them to do that? And I got tired of being asked the question. I finally said, all right, I'll write the book. And Mark comes up and tells Devin, you've got to write a book. He publishes Devin's second book because Devin met him at a cocktail party. I wasn't even there. I walked up. I said, look, this guy's awesome. He's a student here. He's not even speaking, which you don't put Mark in a room, but we're a rebel capitalist. So of course he ended up speaking in some room. I said, he's just amazing. You got to meet this guy. Walked up. Crystal's so nice. She says, oh, here, let me take your picture. I said, no, there's a family thing. You've got to be in it too. And so we meet him and his wife. 
and that's it. Shake hands. He's a great guy. And we move on. And I never expect to hear from him again. He was just very kind. My wife and I went out to dinner. The kids are exhausted. They said, hey, dad, is it okay if we get an hour of sleep and then we'll meet you at the cocktail party? I said, sure. I mean, it's in the same hotel we're staying at. So they walk downstairs and there's like 10 or 12 of us that went to this nice steakhouse. So it takes too long to get served. We come back 15, 20 minutes after the cocktail party starts. And I realized I had just missed a call or it was almost an hour ago. I missed a call from my son saying we're heading down. And I called back. Ethan answers Devin's phone. Says, not now, dad. Mark Victor Hansen's introducing us to Robert Kiyosaki. Click. No. This is literally how I figured out they started talking. And then I got there and there's this group of like 30 to 50 people. And I walk out, what is this? And I see Robert Kiyosaki standing there holding my son's first book in his hand. And I'm like, dude, he is at this party. I mean, I think everybody started by reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he's holding my son's book. And then I look at the crowd and it's my little one talking to Crystal. And they've got 20 or 30 people around him. And then Devin has 50 to 100 And it's literally just him and Mark in the middle and they're talking and everybody wants to hear what they're saying. And so we went up and next thing I know, the next weekend we were in Cabo and I came back, Ethan and I were out riding UTVs in the desert and we get back. He's the adventurous one. So we get back and I am dehydrated and covered in dust and nastiness and sweating all day out in the desert and we show up and Devin says Mark Victor Hansen's partner just called me he wants to write a book and I said his secretary is like no his partner and I didn't know how to I'm like I need tacos so <laughs> I went I got some tacos and some ice water I went by I was like okay I don't want you to think I'm not overjoyed I just don't know how to take that news and so the next day we talked to his partner and the guy says you don't understand Mark called me from the limo I don't know what it is with your kid but you're going to write a book with him you might as well not even try and say no he goes he called me six times to see if we have signed you guys yet the first time was from the limo on the drive home from the party he met your son and so that is how Devin wrote the garage and then that came out maybe April or May and then November 4th Ethan's first book the treehouse came out and our book family success triangle and so since then i don't even know we've got an in-person event at least once a month and we're working i really should be speaking to twenty thousand people in person in a basketball stadium by the end of the year we've spoken to over two million people on the radio and podcast since january but we're i was on podcast in india germany all over the uk one in latin i have no idea how i got on latinos and real estate but they let me on (laughs) and uh and then canada and of course the u.s so it's been like a whirlwind six months that's a lot of momentum Mm -hmm. just never say no i told my wife you don't have to be with me but don't you ever tell me no and i asked her what she wanted when we got married she said adventure i know i I love that i saw that i was like did she realize what that entailed yeah she was not aware that the first half of my adult life i jumped out of airplanes and blew stuff up and fixed broken people but i'm an explosives expert i've got over a thousand jumps i've got 1200 hours flying an airplane do you still remember your first jump yes and i remember i wasn't afraid at all i was terrified of my second jump because I realized how bad it hurts when you hit the ground. Whoa. This is uh, army jumping. Nothing like you would do civilian world. What's the difference? 
thousands of feet in a parachute that's nice. I mean, we jump out. Students today get out at at least 4,500 feet. And really, you're up going up 15,000 to get a free fall. In the Army, we jumped out at 1,250 feet in training, which is 11 seconds from the time you exit the plane until you splat if your parachute doesn't open. And you have to waste four of them to see if it opens the first time. And then I jumped the British low-level parachute, the LLP prototype, and got British jump wings. It's rated at 250 feet. So two and a half seconds from the time you exit, you hit the ground if the parachute's not open. So there's zero time for error. Tom Clancy actually wrote a book about one of the operations I was on. It's in one of his nonfiction books, Airborne. And it's not like I'm any, I mean, I'm one of 5,000 people, but I was on that operation. Oh my gosh. Did you ever contact him about that? I didn't even know I was in until years later. I'm like, oh cool. There's a book called Airborne. I got to get it. And I love Clancy. I've read all his nonfiction or all his fiction. So I'm reading his, and I'm like, oh my God. And then I start correcting him. He's like, it got a little cold. It wasn't cold. We froze our asses off that night. Whoa, that is wild. Would you want your kids to join the service? No, not for any reason you would think. And Mm. I absolutely, my dad never hung, all right, my dad was a platoon sergeant in Vietnam and, uh, you know, bronze star, multiple air medals, whatever. He was a badass. So yes, he was a tough guy in Vietnam, platoon sergeant, and he made it a point to never hang up his medals or anything until after. And my brother and I both chose to enlist in the army and he didn't want to push us into that. And I don't want to push my children into that at all. That being said, I will never tell them, no, I'd be total hypocrite. I absolutely always lead by example. And if they decide that that's the right thing, I, on some social media outlet, I just put on that if they call If Texas or Arizona or whatever called and they needed troops at the border, that's the first time in 20 years that I would gladly pick up a uniform. But after what I did, you can't get me into a uniform without an act of Congress. There can be a draft, not to mention I'm probably too old, but you just couldn't get me back in a uniform. And if I thought it was really to defend this continental United States, then I would be there in a heartbeat if I thought I could help. That being said, I really don't believe that we need to have a trillion dollar. We're at 890 some billion dollars for a military budget. Add up the next, I haven't done the math recently, but maybe six different countries added together don't add up to what we spent on the military. And I don't think we need to have a military base in, what is it, maybe 150 countries. It's ridiculous. Even in the 90s, we could be anywhere in the world in 18 hours. And there will always be thousands of troops at Fort Bragg, not to mention your SEALs and special forces in this. You will have thousands of airborne paratroopers that can be on the ground anywhere in the world in 18 hours. And for years, we lived like that on a rotating recall. And there were months where I couldn't do anything. You don't drink, you don't do anything because you have 45 minutes to report to your unit with your battle gear if they make a phone call. So we have pagers as teenagers in the army in the 90s because there's no cell phones back then. And that was just the way we lived our life. So if we really wanted to get a mass of people somewhere, we could do it. I believe the only reason we're spending so much on the military is because they want to spend the money. They don't want the results. If they wanted the results, they wouldn't be doing stupid things like they are today. 
So it's all, it's always about the money. Everything is about the money. If you track it and follow the money and see who benefits, you can figure out how anything is going to go. Wow. Feel free. Think of any current event. Have you ever looked at where the money is? There's this considered a blob of money. And now they call it the lost decades in Japan. But they had all this investment in Japan. And then where did it go? Pets.com is going to take over the world. That was a precursor to Amazon, basically. And everything, if I'm not mistaken, a city renamed itself something.com because a company paid it enough that it renamed itself for like a year. That was the name of this little city or village. And in the late 90s, everybody was a .com. Bam, that collapses. Where does the money go? They pump up the real estate. This is where I get started in all this. And in the early 2000s, I'm buying real estate. And the money just moved from one major bubble to the next to the next. And it's still going. Yeah, I was going to ask about that transition. What was that transition like from the service to real estate? And do you miss anything about the military? Oh, yeah. It was awesome when they bought me ammo and gave me explosives to play with. I'm qualified to go down to the local True Value or Lowe's and buy whatever I need to make a bomb. And it's really frowned on. They have words for people that do that. So... I, I don't do that anymore, but that was a lot of fun. That's like every that. kid's dream, every boy's dream. I know, right? I literally get, thank you. Everybody is like, thank you. It's Veterans Day. It's Memorial Day. And like, thank you for your service. And I finally, I felt a little guilty when people told me that. And now I was like, and thank you for buying me ammo. Do you know how much jet fuel it took to let me jump out of all those airplanes? That was awesome. You ran expensive. I know. I, I ended up doing it civilian style. I became an instructor and I actually had to pay for it. That was not nearly as much fun. That's why I was an instructor. So they paid me. So yeah, there were a lot of benefits of that. And would I want to ruin my knees, hurt my back and be doing that in my mid forties? No, no, I did not. That was cool at 20. It's way, yeah, maybe even 28. At 48, not so much fun. You feel it a little more? (laughs) Yeah. And that whole running backwards, singing cadence for 10 miles on Friday mornings. Yeah, I'm totally okay. We had a camper. We stuck it in the middle of my dad's field. And I walked all the way from there down to my stepmom's house. And we spent Memorial Day weekend camping and having fun and shooting. And you know what? Walking up and down that hill from the camper to her house, that's good enough. I don't need to go on a 20-mile road march. Wow. One thing, too, that I heard you say on Matt Drinkon's podcast was that your leadership skills needed to be tweaked a bit due to your sergeant background. I was absolutely a wonderful leader. If I could yell at you, make you do push-ups, and you couldn't quit. So for a 19 year old, and I know there's a lot of this problems with, oh, you know, genders and this and that, and the other thing. I was in an all male battalion and it, we were a combat battalion. There were, when we were in basic training, they marched us 20 yards off the road and had us turn our backs. So the female platoon could walk by. We went for two months and didn't see a female. And we would be deployed and there just weren't women, period. It's not to say they couldn't do it. It just, there weren't. So when you're in a place like that, you tend to be pretty high in testosterone. And every guy is trying to do out, do every other guy. Think of any group you've ever been in. I mean, really look at the other extreme, going to church. <laughs> just go to look the gym. Look at the, yeah. <laughs> go to the gym, okay? <laughs> 
go to like gold's gym where you've got these guys working up and there are some gyms that just aren't female friendly and they're not friendly to guys like me right you take james he can go in and lift with the best of them but that is not my place that just to stay moderately in shape no if you can't lift the most you don't belong here we're better than you so you go from that environment and you got to be the toughest guy and then bam next thing i know i'm in a medical unit and we're doing physicals and I have a female in charge of me and she is every bit as good a leader as this tough guy that I had before. And she doesn't yell at us. It's like a wildly different leadership style. And after having, remember, dad, platoon sergeant, Vietnam, infantry, going to from that to the army, Fort Bragg, working with nothing but paratroopers, making it through sapper school, working with the sappers a bunch. Those are like rangers that blow stuff up. And then getting out and going to college, meeting my wife, and then still I was in a all-male unit that were filled with tankers in the reserve. Actually, that was the National Guard. I left active after four years and went to the Guard, and then I ended up as an instructor in the reserve and spent a total of 13 years total in, spread out, did another seven-month activation after 9-11. But see, so yeah, I bounced around, and some of these, like the training units and the medical units, there were more females and males. So I had to start tempering myself. And yet they were still soldiers. But imagine your 15-year-old daughter. If I tried to speak to her like I did to even the 19-year-old guys, some of them would break down in basic training. But by the time I got them, they at least had a drill sergeant yelling at them for three or four months before they handed them over to me. And then you come into an office that's mainly full of women, and they think that you should be a little more touchy-feely. And when I was in speaking classes, if you will, I had a female that sentenced me to watch chick flicks for a month. So there is no more Dirty Dozen. There is no more shoot them up, blowing up, kill them all movies. I'm watching Sleepless in Seattle with my wife. It was probably, for all you guys out there listening to this, if you're not relating well to your spouse or you don't have a spouse, watch a couple of chick flicks. There's something to be learned there. What so did I, you learn? I learned how to speak differently and be a little bit more mellow. And we need tempered. I'm telling you, there is a wild difference between men and women. And we need each other. That women, you need to temper us down. It's like, it's a joke. But I read this somewhere that you notice that you've never found an axe murderer that's married. Because the wife would be like, what are you doing? Take off that mask and put your axe back in the closet. It's dinner time. Come in and wash your dishes. But we need what the other person has. And it's not all masculine and all feminine. However, there is more. Like, boys desperately need. Just look at the stats. If they don't have a father in their house, they're dramatically more likely to go to prison. Sometimes they need that tough. And maybe the female of the house is the one that gives them the tough love. And the man is super nice and, oh, it's okay, honey. But you need both sides of that to become a well-developed human. And I saw I had a little bit too much of the masculine to start with. And boy, did I need the women in my life, which I even write about in the book, Family Success Triangle, how these amazing women showed me. And you would think it should have been. I mean, my mom's awesome. We are such good friends. And she is tougher than your average person. But divorcing my dad when I was 15 and my brother was 10 and realizing that nobody believes a 40-something-year-old divorced woman who's always lived off 
her husband, blah, blah, blah. And he was the dentist in a small town and everybody knows everything. And I got a taste of some of the pain that she went through when I was a teenager. Never really understood how much she gave up to take care of my brother and I until many years later. And just was so, I mean, such an amazing woman. In fact, she's working with James on his editing his new book, Found. So I promised to fly her over to Indiana Saturday so that she's never even met him. She's like, wow. he's like a rock star. The first time he called me, I ran to my room and locked the door so I could talk to him and not be interrupted. But it's so great to be able to give back and take care of my mom and give her cool things after all she did for me when I was a teenager. Well, all the way through until I left for the army at 19. And then still after that. But yeah, be there for your family, both going up the ladder and down. Not only do you need to be there for your kids, and the same goes for women. Yeah, little girls need daddies, and they really need their mommy. I could not imagine how bad it would be to be a single dad with a daughter or two. They just, they need to have both sides of the equation. And that's what's so awesome about our family is my wife is wildly different than I. And we really complement all the important things. We think the same way. And she is so much better. Right now, you ask if they were going to be on the podcast. She and both of my children are running the real estate office. And they've got half a dozen other people working there, but she's in the process of hiring other people. So we sent the 13-year-old in to cover one of the jobs because somebody's out for a week. The 16-year-old is actually the boss. He took over a few months ago and the results got dramatically better because he actually listens to me and understands how to motivate people. And he is a great mix of my wife and I. He has the compassionate side and can see the analytical part. How do people that are older than him respond to him running things? The way you rolled your eyes and looked scared <laughs> is exactly how I felt. And the first time, oh, he went in, he must have been 11 or 12. I don't even know. He might not have been that old. I said, how did the staff take it? Thinking, I I mean, there's no way I'd let you bring your daughter to work. And yeah. I think I'm special because I own the company. And I know my child is a better bookkeeper because he's been doing this since he was five. So he gave classes to multiple adults that come to my meetings. Like, I want to learn QuickBooks. And I said, I don't have time to teach you, but you can hire Devin. He might've been 10 years old and we have 40 and 50 year olds hiring him to set up their QuickBooks and teach him how to use it. So I, I had no problem sending him in to be, it started out just opening letters and we send out, you know, however many tenants there are. At one time we had a thousand tenants in two offices. So I'd send him in and every three months we send our quarterly letter. Here's your rent envelopes. Don't forget to pay your rent on time. Pick up after your pets in the summer, pick up the kids' toys when it's winter, put in your storm windows when it's holidays, happy holidays, you know, whatever. And it's really just to stay in touch and make the tenants feel a little bit more special. Remind them, sign up for this newest thing, whether, you know, ACH or pay online. It was to give them rent envelopes. We just quit doing that a quarter or two ago because so many more people are paying online. But I still have to have somebody fold all these letters, stuff them into envelopes, and mail them out. So we'd send the kid in, and girls at the office thought that was awesome. And they, oh, Devin, run this over to the bookkeeper. And the bookkeeper's, oh, can you drop this off in the maintenance department? And he'd like just run around, and then he'd empty the trash for them if they needed it. Hey, can you get me another one of these? They'd pick stuff up, deliver papers, and then he'd sit down and start filing, and everybody hated filing. So he'd file. So it 
it turns out that they loved it when he would go in. And we tried to get him to go in at least for a couple hours, one day a week. And then he was going in and working a full day a week. And when he was 15, he took over as COO of the company. And Lila, I had all this experience as a leader in the army. My wife didn't. I mean, we met in college. She's never been in the service. She's never been a leader. And she just grew too fast. So we actually moved her down to being in charge of one of the departments. And it has never run so good because she wasn't as good being in charge of the huge company. But if she just took the sales department and worked on that, she updated the systems to the point that they're realistic for the size we are. Because you have to do things wildly differently with 50 units and 250 units and then 500 or 1,000 units. You need It can't all be done the same. You need far better systems as you grow. So she worked that out. Said, great. Now you're going over to operations and you're going to do a bookkeeping and maintenance. I just got this. I said, that was the goal. You got that working. And now you work here. And eventually she will leapfrog above him and be the CEO. But if she should not have to go into work more than a couple hours a week. He'll run absolutely everything day to day. And if we have somebody, we have one whiteboard in our office. Everything is on the dashboard. So anywhere I go in the world, as long as I've got a computer and internet, we can see the exact health of multiple companies and all of our hundreds of rentals. The only thing I know if the stats are dropping, they need to take a picture of one whiteboard at the office. And I can tell you exactly where the problem is in seconds. And we've got this all system on. And if the number gets low, then you do more of this. And if that number, you do more of that. And everything's written out. Everything's systemized. And he is implementing it brilliantly because that's all he ever knew. You said it's like talking to a normal adult. He is. He's been doing investment meetings where your 40-year-old audience is just learning the difference between an asset and a liability or cost segregation or capital gains tax versus you know, earned income versus passive income. And Devin could give you a class on any of these subjects because that's normal to him. He can also field dress an M16 and a deer. And Ethan has field dressed a deer because- Oh yeah, so let's talk about that quote that I brought up at the beginning of this since you're kind of touching on some of those things, right? So Robert Heinlein, an incredible- science fiction author from decades ago and still has great books. Check it out. I'm sure you can get them. One of the favorite, my favorite quotes of all time is specialization is for insects. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. That is so powerful. Which one of those things jumps out at, at you as far as like what you can do? All right, let's see. I have changed children's diapers. I have planned invasions and butchered every deer we have ever shot. I was running a 36-foot marinette on Lake Erie as a teenager. I haven't actually drawn the architectural drawings for a building, but I've run the dozers 
flattened the earth, poured the concrete for the foundation, put the roof on and done everything in between, including a thousand rehabs, more than that, that I've done. Write a sonnet. I've got two best-selling books, but never wrote a sonnet. Balance accounts. Pretty good at that. I have 18 businesses and they all have their own books. Build a wall. Yeah. Would you like drywall, cement, block, brick? Sure. Set a bone. Done that. Oh, it is not like what you see in the movie when you're trying to pop a shoulder back into place. It takes two people holding the guy down and then you pulling with all your might to get a shoulder back in place. But yes, we've fixed dislocated things. Comfort the dying, unfortunately. Take orders. I used to be better than that, but I still do it from time to time. Give orders. Done a lot of that. Cooperate. As long as we want to go to the same place, I am your best friend. We can cooperate. And I am happy when I want to go a different way to break up and let us go our own way and give you a little nudge to help you get further along. I think that is the most amazing thing. You know what I hate is saying, don't you copy off of me. You need to know everything on your own. Sit down, shut up, and memorize the way it was 10 years ago. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's what they do in traditional school. So obviously we homeschool, and I am just not a fan. Everything I've ever done in my life, I have hired people smarter than me to help me get there, and I ride on their coattails. I didn't design any of this. As Buckminster Fuller would say, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I also read a lot of biographies. You should always study the people that have done what you want to do. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't do it on your own. Learn from them. Can I act alone? Yes. Yes, I can. And all of us, some of us don't like it. And some of us want to be told what to do. I believe that if we took more responsibility for our own actions, the world would be a far better place. If you want a promotion, then just take responsibility. I have people that have worked for me that say, I can do every job here. And I say, that's great. And every one of those jobs, I can hire anybody for 15 bucks an hour to do, right? They're thrilled to be making more than 12. If you want manager pay, if you want to make more than that, you need to take the responsibility. You need to hire people. You need to train people. And you need to say it's my fault when they screw something up. If you do that, I don't even care if you can do the bookkeeping job or the maintenance job. If you stand up and you can keep people working in those jobs, that is what's worth $20 an hour rather than 15. And when you get good enough at it, why don't you just break off and own your own company? And then there's zero limit to what you can make. I mean, you can just grow incredible. Boss is always the fall guy. Always. And if you're not, you are doomed to always be middle management. If you blame everybody else, every time you blame justifier complaining, according to my old mentor, Harvecker, you are slitting your financial throat. You are giving away all of your power to anybody but you. If it's their fault because you're the wrong gender or you're too big or you're too small or you're too dark or you're too light or you're not pretty enough or you're not strong, I don't care. Anytime anybody in the world says something like that, you are giving everyone else in the world power over you and you'll never ever be spectacular. We succeed, sure. People succeed all the time, but you won't be spectacular. If you want more than what you are getting, how many people do you know that say, I deserve more. If you deserved more, then don't come to me, your boss, and say, I deserve more. Come to me and say, I talked to this other company 
and you're only paying me 17 an hour. They said they'd give me 1950. And I'd rather stay here, you know, because I know what we're getting into. How it is really difficult to not say you've got the 1950, right? It's amazing how many people come in right after, oh, there's a huge water line break, multiple apartments are trashed, tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage, and a Monday which is absolutely the busiest day. And they have been working up to this all weekend long and they get so wrapped up in their own mind. They can't see. I had a, a lady walk in one day and say, I said, all right. I said, I really just want to let loose and I'm not going to do that. It wouldn't be fair to you. I said, I I'm trying to think instead of yelling, how could you possibly think this was a good idea? What is wrong with you? I stopped. And even if you ask my wife, I really do have a filter. Every now and then I keep my mouth shut. Not all the time, but every now and then. I said, why? You know what? Let me put myself in her position. She's intimidated. She's afraid. I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pretend like you never walked in here. And I understand that this is everything to you. And you're welcome to come back and ask me tomorrow or the next day. Don't do it when water is actively falling and we have emergencies to handle. Don't do it when everything is going wrong. Think just a little teeny bit about what is going through my mind and what all I have to do today. And would it be a better thing to ask for a raise today or tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of timing sometimes. All right, let's say you and I are dating and we're in love and I know you just want to get married. And then you go and total your car. And I'm like, oh, but I bought this ring and I had to do it on Friday night. And I'm so set my wings that I go to the hospital bed and there you are in the ER and you've got an IV. And I'm like, oh, I got to take a knee and propose right now. No, I think I'd wait until next Friday and take you out to dinner, right? Look at the position other people are in. When you start seeing that and taking responsibility and setting the tone, then you're going to get so much more out of life than you could ever get. And all the people that say, I deserve more. If you deserve more than either A, you would already have it, or B, you haven't asked for it correctly. And I'm not saying you don't deserve more. You very possibly might. And you might have to find a better way to get it. But if you keep doing what you have always done, you will keep getting what you have always got. If you want something different, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And that is almost never working harder. It is working more efficiently. It is working differently. It is putting together new ideas or working with someone, not just working together. I love the idea of working with people who are smarter than you and also choosing mentors and people that are successful to bring into your sphere. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to write a book. I don't actually want to write a book, but if I'm going to write a book, I want it to be a best-selling book. So what do I do? The author of Chicken Soup for the Soul is there. He's sold more books than anybody on earth. So I make sure he publishes it. I've got his name right there. Andy writes the foreword for me. I want to get on big stages. So I find people that have big audiences and I emulate them. Can I just call, people always say, oh, well, I don't have a daddy like yours. Well, guess what? I didn't have a daddy like I am right? So maybe my kids got lucky there and they worked their butts off and they did things you can't imagine. And they also still live a normal child. All right, not that normal, but they still do all the stupid kid things that every other kid does. They just have been learning and it's normal for them to speak to adults. They haven't been socialized by children when they were in grade school. They went to meetings with adults and they hung out with the kids at Boy Scouts 
and acting classes and swimming classes, taekwondo and jujitsu. They have no limit of where they are surrounded by their kids. And whatever it is, it's exciting for them at the time. That's what they learned. And that's what we do. Like flying airplanes? Like flying airplanes. Well, I'll tell you what, I want you to sit down and write out the formula. I'm going to teach you Bernoulli's principle. You know what a better way is? Take the top off the car, drive really fast down the highway and your sports car, stick your hand out the window and go like this and say, see aerodynamics. Now let's go jump in the airplane. Look at how those wings are shaped. See the little teeny tabs sticking up? That's a vortex generator. What's that, dad? It makes the air swirl. Can you see how that would work? And think of Ford versus Ferrari. Good movie where they tape all the stuff. It's cool to have all these fancy devices and pieces of yarn. We'll show you everything you need and a whole bunch of scotch tape. So we go out in the airplane and they learn things like that. But won't you be sucked out of the window? Do you open up the window? Nope. Didn't get sucked out. I guess that was a lie in a movie. I mean, don't do that in a jet at 40,000 feet, but then they learn the difference between pressurized and unpressurized. I mean, why not? Oh, you want to learn his? We took him to Yorktown and we were just out just in April. We were in San Diego. So we flew over the Pacific Ocean. We spent a couple of weeks in Scottsdale and flew over to just north of Atlantic City. Actually, we flew right over Atlantic City. So we were over both oceans in April and in our planes. It's not like we go commercial. I got thrown off a commercial plane because I wouldn't put a mask on. So I don't do that anymore. Yeah, actually, I wanted to bring up one of your Twitter <laughs> statuses and you can say no to this if you want. I am wide open. Anything you want. Okay, hold on. Let me pull it up. I was like, oh yeah, he's right for this show. He's a little controversial. I remember when terrorist was a bad word, just oh, like when yeah. vaccine actually helped you and didn't modify your genes. I guess you can change the definition of anything. I did recently write that. I think it was three days ago. Yes. As it turns out, disclaimer, I'm absolutely not joking for all of you NSA people listening to me. And no, I don't wear a tinfoil hat. I just understand that according to many of the things, you know, if you have a Betsy Ross flag, I made some donation somewhere and they sent me the original flag with a circle of stars. That is actually in the handbook. In For the FBI handbook, you might be a terrorist if. I don't know the actual name of it because I have that flag. I also have a Gadsden flag hanging out in a Trump flag. Therefore, I am definitely a terrorist by some standards in the U.S. But yeah, I remember when that was a terrible thing, 9-11 and blah, blah, blah. And then they're weaponizing all this. And I don't care who you like. I mean, really? RFK is, they said, well, what do you think? I, go, I don't care. We cannot lose if we get you know, some of these, there's one or two good people running as Republican and RFK running as a Democrat. America wins. I honestly don't care. There, there are a lot of good things about all of them. Why is it that so many elections, we have no one to choose from? You're not even picking the lesser of the evils. You're picking, oh, they're both awful and I have to choose one. Which the only thing worse would be not to vote. I spent far too many years fighting so you can vote. So if you're one of the, well, it doesn't mean anything. I don't care. Shut up and vote. You should be thankful you have the right. I love that. And I would like to talk a little bit about how things have changed since your childhood. My, per I don't know if they've changed at all, but my perception <laughs> okay. has wildly changed. I knew when I joined the army, I was doing the right thing. 
I signed up, all right, a little bit to jump out of airplanes and shoot machine guns. That that definitely played in. My one roommate, he only joined up to be a medic because he wanted to be Hawkeye. And trust me, we were not Hawkeye. <laughs> we were lowly little medics, not cool, awesome doctors. But yeah, it's amazing the reason people sign up. And the first time you get shot at, everything changes. And it's never about the country or this or whatever patriot. You're simply fighting for the guy beside you. That's it. Or the girl beside you nowadays, right? You are just fighting. And there is absolutely no difference whether you're male or female. There is no difference whether you're black or white. My best friends were an atheist, a Catholic, and a Jew. And I am one of those three. Take your pick. It doesn't matter. And the only person we didn't believe is the atheist. We still stick with there's no atheist in a foxhole. So everything goes away. It doesn't matter. We are the same. All I care is, can you shoot straight? Can I count on you to watch my back? And since we were medics, can you put me back together or anybody else if we get shot up? And if you can do your job and you're competent, that's all that matters. We don't care if you're male or female. We don't care if you're black or white. So all of these people making this into such a terrible thing, they've never been in a circumstance where they needed that. One of my mentors, local guy, runs a teeny hedge fund. He told me close to 20 years ago, 95% of what you see on the news is either an outright lie or totally irrelevant. And I thought, man, you are one cynical old man. (laughs) So this is not the USSR. This is not Russia. This is the United States. And I'm still wearing a uniform. And now I see my buddies getting out and they're all retiring as sergeant majors or whatever. And I have to think, I'm like, are you still bleeding red, white, and blue? Because I don't know if you're ready to listen to me talk yet. I have a different opinion on what we should be doing. And you really have to believe you're doing the right thing when you're there. And we did. I was in Haiti and we did do a lot of good things and people are thanking us and blah, blah, blah. And if you look at the big picture, if the U.S. wouldn't have embargoed the country, how many of them, it was still the poorest country in the hemisphere, but we didn't help at all. So if we create a problem and then we fix the problem we created, do we really get credit for that? That is more of my opinion now. Mm. Yeah, I, I fiercely support the troops. I was one. And if you ask most troops, and I know many of them, uh, I've been a lifetime member of the VFW. Literally, I I was in combat before I was 21. I had to wait till I turned 21 to join the VFW. (laughs) So been in ever since then a member. And before that, as a kid, I went with my dad because he was a member. So I'm talking to people from World War II on, Korea, Vietnam, all of these minor little conflicts, Iraq, Afghanistan, the works. And most of them, after a while, respect the soldiers are fighting against more than a lot of the politicians sending them there. Wondering, why are we doing this? He's not that much different. She's not that much different than me. They have different beliefs. Should we make them do that? And it really came to a head when we have a virus and no one, I'm a scientist at heart. My degree is pre-med. I worked 13 years in emergency medicine. Nobody is doing, I figured within a week, Harvard has a study out. COVID lives, the virus lives exactly this long on a metal doorknob and it lives this long on wood. They never did that. I could have figured that out. I could have designed that test and nobody was doing this. And that's when I realized they really didn't care about death or life or death. They cared about control and propagating their agenda. And so, you know, I know some doctors, I went out, I got myself a medical exemption, so I didn't need to wear a mask and United Airlines flipped out because then 
have a mask on. I'm like, well, I'm eating. By the time they're like, well, we're going to land this airplane. I said, you are not going to land this airplane. You know how much it costs to land this airplane? What they did is they landed where they were supposed to land. And I had priority deboarding. That's where they keep everyone else on their seats. And they give you an escort to make sure you make it off comfortably and safely as the very first one off the plane. Because that sounds a lot better than I was drug off the plane. It's all in how you look at things, really. And they said, well, you're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. I said, but I have this medical exemption. We don't care. I say, well, you can't outweigh what my doctor says when it comes to my health. This is still America. They didn't agree with me. They told me they were going to put me on the no-fly list. And I had already had a, a smaller plane. I'm like, you'll never fly again. I said, the heck I won't. I'll buy my own airplane. So I went out and I bought a much larger airplane, cabin class, got a bathroom in the back. I can walk up and down the aisle. It's awesome. Pressurized, turbocharged. I can fly it out to the West Coast. And so, yeah, now I can carry a nine millimeter and a open bottle of bourbon. I don't drink it till I land. And I never wear a mask unless it's the oxygen because we lost pressurization. That mask, I support. I would like to have that. And I won't make you wear it. If you want to pass out because you don't have, that's your prerogative. I'll tell you how it works, but I won't force you to wear it. Oh my God. Do you encourage your kids to be questioners? Absolutely. Always. This lady was mortified, obviously a mom. She says, you teach them to question everything. I said, absolutely. And it was so funny. She never would have believed me if Devin wasn't there. And he's got to be like seven. All right. He is really little at the time. She says, but not you. I said, what do you mean? Of course. She goes, well, you don't teach him to question you. And Devin speaks up. He goes, oh no, he says question everything, especially him and mom. And if you can't live congruently, if you're telling them one thing, there's one thing, awesome guy, I won't say his name because I never say bad things about people. He is such a brilliant person, has a great family, all this, and he's just a little bit too militant, even by my standards. And he says, sometimes the answer is because I said, and there is never, ever a circumstance. If you were a soldier for me in combat, you would know if I say jump, you better already be in the air. And any time where it's not an absolute emergency that you say why, I will do everything in my power to explain it to you. So yeah, there are times in the heat of the moment and no one asks questions then. They know it's the heat of the moment. We got to do what we got to do. My kids have brought to my, they literally waited until it wasn't, like sometimes we do a lot of life and death things. We were flying through a snowstorm with zero visibility, picking up ice on the airplane. Ice is bad for airplanes. It makes them fall out of the sky. And air traffic control, this was just two months ago, flying into Flagstaff. So my wife's sitting in the right seat. My kids are in the back. And it was supposed to be Ethan's turn to be the co-pilot. But it was such a bad storm. Lila's like, oh, I'll sit up front. You don't enjoy it as much. ATC calls up and says, all right, cleared for the ILS 1-4 approach, blah, blah, blah. He goes, and you don't miss that left turn. There's a mountain right in front of you. I said, okay, we can't afford to be off at all. We make the left turn. I capture the glide slope. I'm on the ILS, meaning I'm following. And as long as I have a little cross on my instrument and it's right over top the dot, we're good. And my wife gasps. And you never like that when you're in a bad situation in an airplane. And her iPad is screaming, terrain, pull up, terrain, pull up. And it's flashing yellow and then it's flashing red. And I'm like, no, 
don't trust the iPad. The real instruments attached to the airplane have the perfect cross right over top of the circle they're supposed to be on. My HSI is perfect. I'm coming in for a landing. I'm exactly on the glide slope. Like I am right there. And all of a sudden, it was like God reached down and pulled the clouds apart. There's a mountain right out her window. And then bam, you can't see it again. And we ended up popping out three or 400 feet above the ground. You could finally see. And I see two lines that have barely been plowed. And I don't know which one to land on. I'm like, hurry up, pull up the approach truck. Where's the taxiway? Do I land on the left? The left one looks a little bigger. I'm aiming for the left one. Tell me what she was. What's the number of the runway? Yeah. Yeah, taxiways on the right, land on the left one. And all of that happens just like this in the last few hundred feet before we land. So there are times where you don't ask questions. That's where all that started, I guess. And, uh, okay, so she and got then the when adventure. you land, <laughs> then the it adventure. is totally okay. I land, I turn it off, I get the signal that I'm shocked. And then I say, okay, I'm going to drink. And I literally walked out with a bourbon in my hand and they took one look at me. I'm like, this is to make sure I don't get any brilliant ideas about flying again before tomorrow. <laughs> I'm done. Somebody else is driving the car. I am just going to go to sleep and relax. And then I can fly again tomorrow morning. Oh, and my that God. is when you can ask me all the questions you want about what did I do? And Devin's pulled it out a couple of times. He goes, hey, dad, why did you tell me to do this? And he just blindly did it. He said, yes, sir. And it was done. And I said, well, actually, Devin, this is my logic. This is what I thought or I wasn't thinking. I just reacted. And that's the first thing that came out of my mouth. He said, wouldn't it have been better to do this? And I thought about it, said, you know what? There have been times where he was absolutely right. And I should have thought of that. And I said, from now on, let's do that. And if I ever tell you in more or less the same circumstance, hey, do A, you say, remember, we talked. You said B was better than do B. And other times I will tell them, go out and figure it out on your own. Sometimes I say, do it my way. See what works and what doesn't. And the second attempt, adjust. Course correct. Yeah. Course correct. On a lot of these podcasts, I think it's in his first book or something. He talks about how he bought Legos. Yes. And my son was into the Legos that were like 10 packages and 400 bucks also. So I actually mentioned to my son that example. Well, since this has not turned out, I mean, we got on 10 minutes early. I thought it was just me and you talking. And apparently this is all going to be on the thing. And it's been an hour and 15 minutes. I'm just going to randomly tell this story. Do it. Everyone asks and they're trying to follow along and every normal rational adult human being knows this can't be true. And they want to, they either want to believe it or they want to disprove it. Oh, and by the way, thank you for the whole skeletons in the closet thing. I always try and be upbeat and positive and I really did teach anatomy and physiology. So I really might have a skeleton hanging somewhere. I don't know why people keep putting that in my Instagram comments, but hey, why not? Back to Devin. He buys Legos and then he learns how to invest and he buys some silver and some gold and a bunch of cryptocurrencies and the Legos were at five. He does this the next couple of years and at seven, he buys his first house without any of my money. And people want to believe that that's a progression, but it seems like a big jump. No, he didn't make the money. And this is something nobody has ever asked. I just listened to my child's own podcast. I think it was Better Than Rich. Came out a couple of weeks ago. So I listened to it last night and this morning. And it was so funny. I said, why doesn't anybody ever ask me this question or him? It wasn't because he sold the Legos and made money. He totally failed. He learned all kinds of things. Always hire a professional. How many people have you known that say, oh, I don't want to hire a realtor. Why should I give them 6%? Shut up and pay them 6%. I tipped my waitress 30% at lunch today. You can give your realtor 6%. Oh, well, I didn't want to do this. Oh, 
I took on a partner. Why? Who does everybody pick for a partner? Somebody that makes them comfortable. Your daddy wants to hold your hand and you're, oh, that sounds good. Let's call daddy and ask his advice. He's comfortable. My dad said he follows me with a big stick. We probably all need that from time to time. So, uh, which I am so amazed that you respect him so much to do something like this. That goes to show what an awesome dad he really is. So, yeah, I hope that my children still think that way after they move out. Amen. Right. So, yes, it was a natural progression from Legos to silver to gold to crypto to houses. And it wasn't at all the money. He didn't flip one to get the next and get the next. It was learning. It was making mistakes. At first, he came up with an idea that should have worked. And then he was smart enough to know he wasn't making money fast enough. He didn't ask me for a loan. I don't know if I'd have loaned him money or not. I might not have. I might have. If I did, I probably would have loaned him the couple hundred dollars he needed and made him sign a promissory note and make weekly payments to me with interest because that would have been a good lesson. Instead, he chose his little brother. He's five. That makes his brother three. He chooses a three-year-old to be his partner because he's not making money fast enough. And guess what? The little brother makes way less than him. (laughs) And so it takes him months to save up $500. And this is with all of the money that grandma has ever given him because I don't give him money for anything. So they're taking all this and putting it together. And then the price starts going up and now it's another, it was 400. Then it went up to 500 by the time they finally had the money saved and bought it. And he realized don't get the wrong partner. So we learned that lesson. Ethan was nice and comfortable, but I like to call it a handholding partnership. They just make you feel good. They don't actually bring anything to the table. And if you want to buy real estate, you need to have money, credit, knowledge. It's that simple. If you have the knowledge, you get paid the most. Anybody will give you the money if you have enough knowledge and you're not a dirtbag pay your bills. They don't care about your credit score. They care if you're a good human being. They care if one new guy, he's sitting there and we're talking, the president of the Ohio Real Estate Association is sitting beside me. We just went to the Capitol and testified for a bill we want to get passed. And we have this big meeting the next morning and this guy's talking. All it took was me elbowing the president and said, he pays perfectly. Bam, he's ready to finance a couple more houses for him. But all you need is one person that I know, like, or respect that I've done business before to say, you know what? Rena's awesome. She always pays on time. And I'm like, how much do you need to borrow? That goes away. Look, you and Matt did it. I tried to get in touch with you a couple of times. You are so sought after. I couldn't even find you and talk to you. And finally, I found Matt to go through and said, I want to talk to her. I want to be on her podcast. I know you were just on it. Didn't it mean a lot more that somebody you know, like, and trust said, hey, he's kind of funny, have him. So that's that's exactly what you do in every business. Find people that they know, like, and trust. And as soon as you have the knowledge to do your business, it's not that hard to find somebody that's willing to put their credit on the line or their money on the line to support you that wants to do way less work and will take much less of the return so you can get the lion's share. Those are some of the lessons I taught to my children. They learned others on their own by messing up. I wasn't there to hold their hand. I let them fall down. I wrote about that more than my wife would have liked. I let them skin their knees and get hurt. Ethan once ended up flying over the handlebars of his four-wheeler. If you haven't got to that part in the book yet, it's there. And you get what I was thinking and what my wife was thinking and what really happened. All of these emotions factor into poor five-year-old flying over the handlebars on his four-wheeler. 
And the end is I looked at him intently to make sure nothing was broke. He jumped up. He was so afraid that I was going to be mad at him for doing something stupid. He didn't have time to feel pain. So rather than saying, oh, are you okay, honey? In which case he might've thought maybe I should be hurt. I yelled, don't you ever do that again and drove away thankful that he didn't break anything. But yes, you'll have to finish that story in the book. Some things you have to learn the hard way. And now we're back to the uh, masculine and feminine sides. My wife definitely would have handled that differently than I. And they need her. And I'm betting he ended up sitting on her lap that night by the campfire and getting lots of loving. And every now and then you need a little bit of toughness too. And what is so funny is it used to be her and I working in the real estate office. And as soon as I left, cute, sweet, innocent life Isla from Kansas turned into the bad guy. And all the women that were, they are the nice girls that take care. Oh, I'd love to help you with that. I just, you know, these owners are so mean and we have to do it this way. And if I don't, I'll be fired. And if you don't like that, you'll have to talk to my boss, Lila. And now she's the bad guy. So there's always a good cop and a bad cop, a good guy and a bad, whatever you want to call it. And you just have to figure out what your personality fits. And you could play both of them. And it is more natural, depending on the person you're with, that you might go out and be the bad guy if you're hanging out with Matt. He's just so nice. Then you could hang out with me and be on the opposite end. Or maybe it's, I don't know. I want to know if you've ever wanted to fire each other. Oh, I've fired Lila multiple times. Yeah, I don't want to do anything. I do. If you ask my youngest child, he'll say, there is no try. You do or you do not do. Yeah, that was that. Family business is not easy. I mean, how do you separate the business from your relationship too? Like, how do you keep the relationship at a 10? Well, there is no guidebook. You have to know when to let go. I am very intense. My wife can get totally fixated. And I say that knowing that I can do the same thing, maybe worse than her. Just block everything out. She likes to focus on the emergency of the moment. And I like to see the big picture. Mm. That being said, when I am there, when I'm camping, oh, she's way more likely to pick up an iPad and respond to an email. And I have lenders who are the very first people I will always answer the phone and call back. And I saw a missed call. I said, it can't be that important. She didn't leave a message. (laughs) And we were just, I was with my family. And yeah, I had had a cell phone. I kind of wished it would have went dead, but I was out there and nothing was going to bring me back from the woods and being focused intently on my family, playing with my kids, hanging out with grandma, my stepmom. So they got to play with her and we played cards and we had fires and we did a lot of shooting and riding four wheelers and just, you know, out having fun. And then when we got back to the office on Tuesday morning, it was all about work. You are where you are. People tell me, God, that'd be awful. And this is a relative, not my immediate family. All right, an ex-relative. They got divorced out of the family. She goes, I couldn't imagine having to come home and answer the phone after five o'clock. And I'm thinking, and you wonder why you don't make any more than you make. Take responsibility. She was well-educated, college degree, intelligent, and actually more than any of us. She actually worked in the field she trained for in college, just better than I can say for Lila and I. And a lot of people that work for us, now that I think of it, she wasn't willing to take responsibility. So the whole thing is she would worry about the drawings that she didn't have done all night long and it would interfere with her marriage. Mm. Whereas I'll work till nine o'clock. I'll get done whatever I have to get done. And then I will be there. And if I want to spend time with my kids because I get spam, I'll say, look, stay up late. They've never, ever had a bedtime their whole life. They do, however, have a time they have to get up in the morning. And you can stay up as late as you want. And you will be downstairs reading a book at 8 a.m. 
and we sit in our library and we all read for half an hour, an hour. Uh, okay. Now I'm really curious too about the rest of your day because you homeschool, you have 18 businesses, you're a best-selling author. Oh my God. Yeah. What is a typical day? Like how many classes are they taking? How do you manage that? Has uh, that changed too? Oh yeah. From the I beginning mean, of you when, doing it? I, Devin got accepted into Kent State and went to his first in-person class when he was 12. I heard that. He went in person to the Stark County branch and I asked him, oh, and he didn't learn rule number one. He was not smart enough to ask dad about college. He might ask mom, but not dad. And rule number one, never, ever, ever take a college class that starts at 8 a.m. And I said, I love you, son. I will do anything for you. Just tell me when to pick you up. I'm sure mom will drop you off there because I ain't getting out of bed that early. I did that once in college and never made the mistake of taking a class that early. I was second shift in the ER. I am very happy. And while I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning for a while for the Army, I got out of that as quick as possible. My office today opens at 10 a.m. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so... I don't mind working late and I choose not to get up early. It's got to be a pretty big emergency like my own house is on fire to get <laughs> me out of bed early. So yes, every morning we are downstairs reading a book at eight o'clock and we'll read till somewhere between 8.30 and 9. And Lila is up dramatically before me, 5.30 in the morning or something ridiculous. Devin got the early bird gene more. He is normally down here. And I'm like, when do you get here? Because he leaves, it's 10 after eight and he's walking away. And I know he did at least a half an hour reading. He goes, oh, I normally get up and I'm down here at, you know, 7.30, quarter of eight. But no, not me. And then we, Monday, I work on the construction company. I go through all the billing and... I rebuild to whoever were, you know, all my contractors send me their bills, organize, send it out. I open up rent managers or computer system. I figure out how many turnovers do we have this week? How many need to get rent ready? And by then the office has sent me email. So I'll shoot all of the completed invoices over to the bookkeeper at the office. She bills them to every unit and every tenant if they need charges, does all the paperwork, whatever. I make sure everybody gets paid. And then we mail checks Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. So if you get a paycheck in by Sunday at, or Saturday at midnight, you will be paid the next week. And people tend to love that, work longer and do more for me and drop things and take my jobs before they take others. So yes, if you're running a business, pay people quick. You don't necessarily have to pay them more. You have to get them the money right away. Don't make them wait. That is worth a little bit of extra money. For sure. And, and doing it weekly rather than bi-weekly really helps me to stay in touch with what's going on with every property. And in maybe three, four hours, I can get all this done. I can assign if there's anything that normally the office does it, but if there's something I want one particular contract on. Oh, this is a lot more painting than anything. Get Andrea on there because she is absolutely the best and the fastest at that. Oh, this has a lot more electrical. Get Aaron over there. They all have their own crew. They might have one person working or five people working for them. But I just know the, the general contractors and send them out. And I'm like, okay, done with that business for the week. Then I go out to lunch. I frequently am trying to... Waitresses and bartenders are awesome at sales and conflict resolution. Absolutely brilliant. You can't get that in a degree. So I frequently try and pick them up and hire them to work as sales agents for me. Interesting. And you have no idea how many times my wife's answered the phone. Eric picked me up at lunch and said I should call you for a job. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of our best receptionists and leasing reps and even real estate agents have come from people that serve me at a bar or restaurant for lunch. Oh, my dad will love that because he used to run a factory. And when we'd go out to eat too, he'd be like, oh, that guy would make a good spinner. That guy would make a good buffer. Right. 
you see this guy, this whore is just terribly efficient doing a busboy job. Here's my card. Call me when you're off work. Heck yeah. That's so old school. I like to hit the real estate office Monday afternoon and I look at the sales board, which is the one board I don't have. So by 11 o'clock, I know everything that turned red last night because it's a day past due, it should be cleared out in the first hour of work. So by the time I'm done with billing, I flip it on. And if there's, I like red lines in one column because that means people moved in and they're no longer vacant. That's good. They disappear tomorrow. Any other column that has red lines, I make a note, ask Devin to ask his manager to ask the person doing the job because I want them to understand the hierarchy, the chain of command. It really simplifies things. And it's not like I can't walk in and ask. And if you do that, they get confused as to who the boss is. So I spend more time in my wife's office saying, I am nobody here. I am nothing. I just want the information. I don't really have the right to give you any orders. And I want them to know they don't work for me. They work for Devin and then they work for Lila. And that's it. I say big picture. If we want to buy a hundred unit building, I'll make that decision. I'll go through it, evaluate, whatever. And the moment it is under, if it's a rehab, I handle, my construction company handles that. And if, as soon as a unit is rent ready, I'm done. I'm out. I don't care what unit. I don't know the tenant's name. They know the tenant's name. That's what they do. I've never met them. I've never seen it. I've never approved an app. It's impossible for me to discriminate because I don't do that. Either the numbers are what I told you the numbers will be, or they are not, and they get denied. It's that. It's a yes or a no. There's no way. And if you do this enough, we've signed 4,000 leases. So you will get turned in for discrimination just because somebody wants something for free. It doesn't matter. It's really funny when a black person turns into a black person for discrimination. They can't figure out why or a woman. I don't care. It's there's so many people in my office. No one person has any control. I set it up so it's impossible to discriminate. I mean, you really have to. You can't make a mistake. You really have to work hard. And then I know if they do, there is a serious problem with one of my staff. That's fixable. And then most people are decent. Maybe they have their own personal beliefs, which I don't share. If you put them in a scenario where it's easier to do the right thing than the wrong, they generally do the right thing. So I've always tried to set my business up, not so it's good for the real estate brokerage. So it's good for the owner. Number one, I own most of the properties they manage. And all the other real estate brokerages, they're all real estate brokers that sell real estate. A lot of them got into management because the market crashed and they're like, oh, we need to make money somehow. No, we started as a management company. Of course, you have to have a real estate broker's license, but we weren't even agents. We opened the company. I talked to a broker. She let me use her name. Lila got her real estate license. Two years later, she was a real estate broker. And now we have a real estate management company that occasionally, but if you ask us to list your house, we're not going to list your house. The only things we do, we help the investors that we manage for buy their own property. We solely do commercial, and that might be a single family home, but it's only for an investor. And they're really focused on management. That's what we're really good at. Can we do all these things on the quote I just said? Yes, I can pitch manure. I would rather not die gallantly, but I have fought. And I don't want to be specialized like an insect. That being said, as long as you can see everything in the big picture and you can do a taste of everything, you become very, very good at one thing. And that one thing expanded. And I realized I need different paperwork. It's slightly different. People think, oh, well, I only buy single family homes. Oh, and Eric's the apartment guy. And then the market changed. What are you doing buying all these houses? I thought you were the apartment guy. I said, no, that's just what you wanted to class on at the time. 
So that's what people thought. But throughout the last 20 years, I have owned more than 100 single family homes, many hundreds of apartments, four mobile home parks, a dozen storefronts, part of an airport, two airplane hangars at a different airport, a couple of airplanes. And all of these either are making money or have the ability to make money if I'm not using them for personal use. Oh, at a storage facility. And I realized that what I am absolutely the best at is putting butts in beds. Doesn't matter if that bed has wheels under it or if it has 90 other beds around it or if it's just one out on its own in the country with a well. If people sleep there, I'm good at handling that. And that is our niche. Do we have some commercial? Yes. And most of it is mixed use where we bought it for the apartments and it happens to have, I mean, we bought our building that our office is in. So that makes sense. It's our personal office. The airplane hangers, I would love to buy the entire string. There's 11 hangers and I have two of the 11 right now. I want to own the rest of the building. Mm. I took over the condo association just so I knew who was selling next. And that is the highest price per square foot increase in rents throughout all of these crazy rent raises. Airplane hangar space is going up more than anything. And if they don't pay you. You just put a lien on their plane. It's like a hundred percent collection rate. There, there's no delinquent. It's unreal. They might be delinquent, but there's no collections. So it's wildly different than renting out low-income housing. Is there anything else you'd like to extend into? I'd like to not be. I'm. Everything's within forty minutes of my house. It's just or within my management company, not my house, my management company. It's just too easy to make money in the Midwest. And Ohio and Indiana have far better laws than Pennsylvania and especially Illinois. I would never own anything in Illinois, New York or California. It doesn't matter how much you can make. I just would never, short of maybe a home for me to live in, I'd never rent something there. We have been looking a lot in Tennessee because one of the three greatest states, Florida, Tennessee, and South Dakota, Florida's too hot and humid for me in the summer. I don't necessarily want to go there. I saw more of my properties today than I have in probably three or four years because this guy flew in from LA and wanted to see a couple. So we drove through multiple apartment complexes and then I took him into one unit and that was it. It was just mainly to show him around and to see if for rent signs are up and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. How's the repairs look? Normally I get pictures of this and every now and then it's nice to go and actually check up. So when I hire a new person, I go and check up on them and make sure I like the quality of their work the first couple of times. You've been working for me for 10 years. I do not need to check up on you again. So yeah, when Bill does something, I just trust that his crew did it right. So one time I was like, hey, I don't have time to drive out to this other city. Go check on your, did you personally, were you there when they finished? He said, no. I said, good. I'll pay you for an extra hour, but you drive over and look at it and make sure it's up to standard. And even though it was his company that would have had to fix it for free, I completely trust him. He's been around for so long. We work very well together. Mm, my dad will definitely love that. And yeah, I mean, people that worked for my dad for decades, he's now doing consulting work with. It's all over amazing the place. how many quit or leave or get fired within two weeks. And if you make it for two months, you are there for many, many, many years. But you, you weed it out. You have a problem with the other staff there. You just don't want to do, oh, this isn't what I thought. And then people stick around for years. I mean, we've got a couple of new people and we have oh, the one lady in Lila's office has been there for three years. I've got multiple families. I hired one. I don't know if it was at one time we had one guy doing maintenance for me. His wife was working for my wife doing showings. And in the office, his dad took over mowing my yards with his mowing service and his mom ended up doing cleaning for me. I have hired a husband, 
a wife and a sister that worked for me for many years. And it just, it, one starts. And Devin asked that. He said, hey, this one just brought her cousin in to work for us. What's that mean if they're bringing family? I said, it means it's good. They like you enough to recommend their family get a job with you. That's a good thing. That is so interesting. I mean, even in the caretakers for my grandmother, like one had taken care of my grandfather and then we hired the sister to take care of my grandmother. So families tend to be the same. And sure, I'm wildly different than my brother. And yet our core personality, as much as we have issues, is still the same. There is nobody that wouldn't say, even though we don't talk that lot, he is trustworthy. You can count on him. He's a financial advisor. And I guarantee he is at the top of his game. I just do things wildly differently. I don't have that license. I don't take your money and get a commission on it. I set up my, what I call now my wife's company. It's set up if you, the owner, doesn't make money, she doesn't get a penny. And a lot of the real estate brokers just say, well, we work twice as hard when it's empty. I don't care. If you were doing your job, it wouldn't be empty for more than three days. Get it rented and then you get paid. The one I interviewed before we started a management company, they got paid like $35 if it was empty and $55 if it was rented. I said, are you kidding me? It is so much easier. Let the thing that let everything sit empty. I'll just live off of $35 and never answer a phone, never do a showing, never fix anything broken. Life's way easier that way. So that is a terrible setup. But yeah, we set ours up that we don't get paid unless we collect rent. Not somebody living there, if they don't pay rent, then we don't get our percentage of it. And when they move out and there's collections, then we just didn't get that much. So it's in our best interest to get a non-paying tenant out as quick as possible so we can turn it over and get somebody paying you rent again so we can get paid again. That makes sense. That's how we set up our business. That's how we train our kids. And that's, well, the one mom from the story an hour ago, she goes, oh, of course you tell them to question you. No, I don't. They said, question everybody but you. I said, no, especially question me. You need to really be congruent. And if your kids ask you a question, I don't know if you've ever heard of or knew of Art Lenklider. I got to see him. Oh, awesome. He was very old. He was a friend of Walt Disney. Oh, wow. Story about when Disneyland was Orangefield, but he had a maybe a radio show and then a TV show. I think kids say the darndest things. And he would just like today's podcast, he would sit there and ask a kid a random question and let them go unfiltered. And it was hilarious. I love that. You know what? Your kids are brilliant, they don't have inhibitions. They don't take a back seat. Everything negative that they say or do, it's because somebody taught them to do that. Children are built or they are born with only two fears, loud sounds and falling. And I don't know where I got that. Some study I read, I'm sure. But if you look at it, they have been taught to stay where they are. And I never understood why does the parent say you can do anything. And then in the next breath say, Oh, don't do that. That's dangerous. Well, the neighbor guy does it. Oh, well, that's different. Well, why is it different? If you can't explain to me why it is different, then why shouldn't I be able to do it? So I didn't teach my kids how to fight. I taught them how to fall down. Mm. I thought the number one reason 
I wanted them in martial arts was because I wanted them to be able to get thrown to the ground. They are going to fall off of bicycles and they couldn't, they could barely walk. They weren't riding bikes. They're going to wreck four wheelers, maybe a motorcycle. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll jump out of airplanes. I'm not going to tell them no. So I figured first you need to learn how to fail. You need to learn how to fall down. And if you can walk away without hurting yourself, martial arts she is really good at teaching respect and getting knocked down. All of this, oh, I want to be a great fighter. You have to be willing to fall before you can succeed. Mm. A brilliant business leader, guest lectures at all these Wharton, Harvard, and everything business schools. He walks in and starts every class with, how many of you want to be a millionaire? And the whole class raises their hand. They're all freshmen in business class, right? How many of you are willing to lose a million dollars? And nobody raises their hand. If you aren't willing, my favorite saying, or what one of my sayings is on that line, you're only able to climb a tree as high as you're willing to fall. If you get afraid, if you can't hold on, you know, you get nervous, you can't go any higher. And I visualize myself that I'm running through a field. And I know the faster I run, the more money I make and the quicker it comes to me. The further I go, the more money I make. And somewhere there's a cliff. And I'm blindfolded, by the way. Ah. Here's the thing. The more you learn, the further away that cliff gets from you. The more knowledge you have, the more you can go and the more aggressive. People look at what I do. They think it's wildly risky. It's so easy. It's second nature. I can do it in my sleep because I've been doing it for 20 years. When I try something new, like flying an airplane or getting the next rating or my IFR rating to fly through clouds the first time, wildly different. Getting ice on my airplane the first time, terrifying, could have died. Now having an airplane that's full factory de-icing and meant for all of that, why, and I actually know what buttons to press to make it work. Suddenly it's nowhere near as bad as the first time that I accidentally flew into freezing rain and got covered in ice. That was terrifying. Now it's Tuesday. So the more you grow, the further you can run down that plateau. One thing I didn't understand in like 2007 and 8 is that market can bring the cliff way closer to you. I was here and the market brought the cliff to the wrong side of me. And I ended up like Wiley Coyote running on top of nothing. That was a really exciting couple of years. Because if you do the math, Devin was born in 07. I had taken about a year off. I thought I knew something because I had made some money. Yeah, I, I took a year off and spent a bunch of money and did things like, well, eh, pay $50,000 on a credit card for education, buy a timeshare in Vegas, couple of new vehicles, new house, bought another house on a credit card, you know, whatever, and not work for a year. Then I'm like 31. I don't know. Do the math going backwards. Yeah, that didn't turn out well. <laughs> Woke up one morning, $150,000 on my credit cards. I was spending $23,000 a month more than I brought in. And I ran out of credit cards to put that twenty three grand on. And a bunch of soul searching, some frantic phone calls, got my credit card limit raised. That took me from Wednesday to Friday. That $3,000 emergency loan from a guy that I already owed a quarter of a million dollars over the weekend that I needed before Monday to pay my bills. So he gave me another 50 grand with a second mortgage on my personal home. And two or three years later, I had paid that back, paid off all of my credit card debt, was never a day late on a payment. And it wasn't me becoming a millionaire thinking I knew something. For all of you out there that wanna be a millionaire, I was a millionaire when that happened. That's what got me into trouble. I let it go to my head and thought I actually knew something and didn't pay attention. Nobody cares about your net worth but you. If you want to make your family happy, get a massive passive 
income. It's all about cash flow, not net worth. And now that I don't care about my net worth, I only care about the cash flow coming in because that is my quality of life. That is my financial freedom. My net worth is skyrocketed, but I don't focus on that. So anybody out there thinking about you know, money, focus on the cash flow. That's what buys your bread for your family. That's what takes you on vacations. And that's what allows you to sleep in if you have passive income. So yeah, focus on that and net worth. That'll take care of itself down the road. Don't get wrapped up with trying to buy things and get more net worth that didn't give you active cash flow today. This was absolutely amazing. I'm going to have to wrap up because I got to go get my kiddos. But yes, is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? I would just like to thank your dad (laughs) for raising such an incredible woman. You're amazing. I love talking to you. And I think that the way you respect him and ask for his advice, I just want to be as good a dad as him. So, and I for months had the number one best-selling book in fatherhood, Family Success Triangle. So yes, and I want to give you some books for your kids that I wrote specifically for them. But yeah, anybody out there, check out our books, Family Success Triangle, If I Can Do It, So Can You by Devin Woolwind. And look us up on Instagram, YouTube, Rumble. We are at Real Power Family on every social media outlet. I love what you're doing on social media too. It is so cute and definitely goes right along with the theme of Better Call Daddy. It is so cool. So yeah, thank you so much. I really wanted to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love the family-oriented stuff. Yes. Anytime you need anything, you call me. I'm here for you. You're amazing. Let me know when you're in Texas. I'm in Houston and my dad is in Indiana. Really? Well, I get down to Houston and Dallas every now and then, so. Cool. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This fella, Eric, had a beautiful interview with you, and uh, you had him all juiced up where he was really, uh, really uh, giving it, giving it all and giving you really. There's a lot of wisdom in this episode. Just to throw a couple at you, sometimes you have to have great failure in order to really achieve great success, that when you really put it all out there and risk, you know, I love the way you said that if you want to try to make a million dollars, you have to also look at it in the opposite term. Are you willing? to even lose a million dollars. And if you can't really lose a million dollars, you don't necessarily will make a million dollars because you're, you're not you're not in uh, the game of life where the payouts will be the same. But what comes out in this episode also is that if you really want to be successful, loyalty is very important where you trust other people to be able to do their best without micromanaging them. This has come out in some other episodes as well, but you want to be able to make investments. Well, you better know all the variables. And if you don't know all the variables, where do you learn from? You learn from people that are better than you, people that are experts in things. You have to be willing to, as you know from Grandpa Marvin and Uncle Isaac, you have to be willing to learn how to do everything yourself too. And learn from masters, learn from experts, learn from mentors. You have to put in the work. It's just not going to happen automatically. He makes it very clear that his road to success is where he also was excited to actually try many, many things, right? He was willing to experiment. He was willing to question everything. And he wants his children to be able to do the same thing. It's just don't take things at face value. And even though, as you know, my dad served in World War II and fought for the freedoms of the world and, and this country, 
that was put at risk. But the fact is, is that there's so many bad politics that are going on in our age where we're not really necessarily fighting for the freedoms and for the people, but just for political agendas and for people where, you know, he, he put out his fingers, you know, where I guess I'll, I'll do it with this hand, you know, where it's all about the money and who's going to get certain power. And that's not looking at the big picture. That's really where certain leadership is only looking how they can stay in office and stay with power. He also mentioned that there's sometimes it's going on in elections is that it's not a good choice versus a bad choice. Sometimes it's a bad choice and a worse choice, and it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to have leadership where it's whoever wins is a good choice, and we'd like to hopefully have the best choice at the time where it should be where these people are at an optimum le level of leadership, where they can really help people and help your country or help your organization or help your company and not where it's pitting against each other and where both sides are terrible. And here's a person who's jumping out of airplanes. This is a person that's, that's running many businesses and willing to take the risks, learn from mistakes, hands-on, but also get those lessons from experts so that he can value his time and effort so that he can do many things and continue to expand. And you're right back to that story where you have to be able to network and lead with people by showing that there's a certain amount of trust and dedication and loyalty and where you're not looking to just boss everyone around or think that you're better than everyone else, but being able to show that you are able to demonstrate leadership by working with everyone and respecting everyone and learning the best of other people. And on the Better Call Daddy show, we try to give two cents of wisdom. But guess what? We usually gain 10 cents or 20 cents of wisdom from our guests. And by hearing their stories and taking a hopefully a valued analysis where we can hopefully add value to their story, not take away from their story, but add value to their story. And that's what a good leader does. Ooh, I love how you flipped that around. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, better call daddy. Also, I knew that you would have a lot in common with this guy. He takes care of his mom. He's teaching his children. He's involving his children young. He works in a family business. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And that's why you have to understand that your father sometimes is not necessarily anything but the byproduct of all the gifts that I was given by being so close to running in a family business for 45 years. I've able, even been able to continue it with my mom and dad not even around involved in it like they were. You know how I am with trying to help my parents and really help all family members, whether it's siblings, whether it's grandchildren, whether it's children, whether it's cousins, whether it's even a Maureen side of the family. So the fact is, is that by working and helping people, I even do it with people that have worked for me, as you know, and I don't leave anybody out in the lurch. And I also like the idea is that when you have people that are working for you and they're doing a good job for you and they're busting their chops for you, it's really, to me, deplorable if you don't pay them on time. I, I agree with that 100%. These people are, some of them are, are living week to week and they're counting on you and they're giving you their best effort to make sure that they satisfy your needs and goals and not to pay them is really, really terrible. I think that sometimes you don't have to pay someone extra, which we try to do if they, if they do a good job and give them a bonus, but we want to always make sure that there's no doubt that they get paid on time. 
And uh, that's, I think, very important because you want stability in your life. You got to make sure that the people that you're surrounded by also have that stability in their lives. That's a very important message. A lot of companies don't really care about their people that way, where, you know, how, how, many, how many people would come into the office or want to borrow money or get an advance on their check because they have an issue or a problem. And even though sometimes they take that extra money and they would not show up the next day, that doesn't mean that we should stop not caring or trying to help someone out if they're in trouble, especially if they're working for you and giving you the chance to have your company stable. You have to understand that uh, you have to still go the extra mile and help them out. Same thing as I told you about customers. Even though the customer sometimes is wrong, they're never wrong. You always have to be there to make it right for them. How does that saying go? The customer is always right, especially when they're wrong right? And we got to take care of them. And it's the same thing about your people. Even if they're not perfect in someone's eyes, or they don't deserve this or don't deserve that, they're still your people. And you've got to help them develop and grow. If you want to have a growing business, it's your duty to make sure that your people have an opportunity to grow too. I like it. All right. I'm going to sign off. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.